This information is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or tax advice. Please consult your attorney or accountant to discuss your particular business situation. SBA's participation in this presentation is not an endorsement of the views, opinions, products, or services of any of the participants, persons, or entities. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. This information is as current as May 26, 2020. Aloha, I'm Evan Leong from Brain Gain Hawaii, and welcome to today's Safe Hawaii Jobs and Businesses webinar for May 26, 2020. Hope you all had a great Memorial Day weekend, and it's back to the action. If this is new for you, we have a resource folder with updated memos and previous webinar videos on YouTube. So please make sure you review those documents before asking a question, since most of the answers are in those documents. Uh, please let me introduce our team for today. We have Jane Sawyer. She's the Hawaii District Director for SBA and our champion for Hawaii small businesses. Darren Leong is a uh, specialist in employment law from the law office of Darren R. Leong. Stacy Katakura is the CEO of Accumulus, which is an outsourced CFO and accounting firm. Jeff Harris is a specialist in employment law and a senior name partner at the Torkelson Law Firm. Buddy Leong is an analyst here at Brain Gain Hawaii and handles our communications backend and chat box. Koko Leong is our editor at Brain Gain Hawaii in charge of content, YouTube channel, and podcast. Uh, we'll take questions during the webinar through the Q&A module only. That's the module in the bottom. Uh, if you post your question in the chat box, as usual, they won't be answered, and Buddy will ask you to post it in the Q&A module. So please upvote the questions in the Q&A module, and we'll do our best in the latter part of the webinar to answer them live. And please remember, this is a fully volunteer effort. This team has personally answered hundreds of questions, email threads, and hundreds of billable hours have been donated. Legal disclaimer is this information is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or tax advice. Please consult your attorney or accountant to discuss your particular business situation. SBA's participation in this presentation is not an endorsement of the views, opinions, products, or services of any of the participants, persons, or entities. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. This information is current as of May 26, 2020. And today, let's start with Stacy Katakura. Hi everyone. Uh, so on Friday night, uh, the SBA and Treasury um, finally released the long-awaited forgiveness rules, um, which we will, uh, with, which uh, Darren and Jeff will go into a little bit more detail uh, today. But before, uh, I think we just want to caveat that before we go into all this uh, forgiveness rules, there are a few bills that are um, in the House and Senate that would extend the, um, the amount of time that you can use a PPP funds. Uh, in the House bill, uh, it looks like the proposal is to extend the, uh, the, the time period to 24 weeks, and it, elim it eliminates the 75 percent um, uh, 75 25 rule that requires 75 percent of the uh, funds be used for payroll costs. Um, the one, uh, the bill in the Senate, which uh, I, is not likely to be passed this week, but possibly next week, uh, extends the time period to 16 weeks and is silent on the um, any changes to the 75-25 rule. So uh, keep, you know, please keep an eye out on that because I think if either of those bills pass in any shape or form extending the time period, presumably um, a lot of the guidance uh, that was just released regarding the forgiveness rules will need to be updated as well. Um, so just wanted to uh, uh, alert you guys all, all of that. Um, I wanted to just spend a couple of minutes also talking on IDLE um, before we get into the deep dive of the changes uh, for, um, for the forgiveness guidance that was issued. Um, I think a lot of you have been getting notifications from the SBA that uh, you are eligible for an IDLE loan. Um, and the IDLE loan would be of, I think a lot of the notifications are coming, um, are saying you're eligible for a loan of up to $150,000. Um, so I wanted to just um, just address that a little bit. Um, so um, there are, the IDLE loan is, um, is, is the eligible uses for an IDLE loan are a little bit broader um, than the PPP loan. In addition to payroll, rent, and utilities, you can also use it to, uh, to pay for accounts payable. Um, costs that you haven't been able to pay due to revenue losses. So your the uses are a lot broader. Um, if you are in a situation where you're 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 not able to pay some of your vendors because you're you're closed, uh, you're shut down, 
um, that's something that you might be able to take advantage of. Um, when some of the things that you, you should know that you can't use idle for are uh, to pay dividends and bonuses, to uh, repay uh, shareholder loans or uh, refinance long-term debt. Um, I think I've heard of some businesses uh, hoping to use the funds uh, to be able to refinance some of their, their higher rate, um, higher interest rate uh, obligations. So that's something that you should consider that's not an eligible use for idle. Um, I've also heard a lot of uh, a lot of comments that the 150,000 is not nearly enough of what you um, what you were hoping for. Um, so you can uh, you can apply for an increase uh, subsequent to receiving the the, the loan funds um, once you are able to demonstrate um, that there is a higher need, uh, more funds are needed. Um, I think that's all I, I wanted to say about idle. I don't know if Jean, you have anything um, you want to add to that? I think that's a pretty good summary. Thank you, Stacy. Um, but I think um, one of the things that a lot of people are seeing or we're getting calls as people comment that, um, you know, it is taking a longer period of time, but this loan goes through a more normal credit process because they will check your credit. And some of the information that we're finding that some of people are getting declined or getting a lower rate because they also um, submitted an application early and they didn't indicate or couldn't clearly justify um, their, their losses or that they have been negatively impacted by the coronavirus, the pandemic, the closures and things because they applied early in March or just toward the end of March. So these are some of the things that you should look for with your application if you are finding that um, you're not getting the, a loan amount that you think is sufficient for your needs um, or some of the things that you may really scrutinize what you put into your application so you can address that easily. The, still the demand, they, they were shocked with the number of applications they got. They're trying to make sure that they have funds to address the need. Um, so some people are a little bit disappointed that there isn't the funding to go around that everybody hoped would be there. But uh, they're still even accepting applications for ag-related businesses. There's also announcement today from USDA about extending some of their loans. So if you are in that industry, take a look um, at USDA as well for their, their new B&I loans um, with some waivers on some of their criteria. So uh, other funds are they're moving things around and making money available because this is going on a lot longer than I think everybody expected. So thank you. Thank you. I, I think I, uh, the only thing I wanted to add to that too is you don't have to accept the, the loan um, immediately. I think you have up until six months to, um, to sign the loan documents. Uh, and to, to Jane's point, the, the funds are have been limited. And so um, if you don't know yet, if you, you you will need the funds and you need more time to decide, you do have you do have some time to to sign the loan documents. But you might not not want to just reject the loan altogether until you you're pretty comfortable that you don't need it. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Stacy. Um, there uh, on Friday, uh, the new IFR uh, on forgiveness was 26 pages. Had lots of stuff in it, so. Uh, we'll bounce it over to Jeff to give the highlights of what was clarified or what information um, can be gleaned out of uh, the, well, it's two IFRs in the room, final rules released on Friday. Uh, so Jeff, go ahead. Well, as Stacy mentioned, the eight weeks may become 16 or 24 weeks, but uh, borrowers are going to be able to m measure their payroll costs based on that eight week. 16 or 24 week covered period beginning on the loan disbursement date or the alternative payroll period beginning on the first day of the first pay recycle after the uh, date. Uh, that, that's, that's where I see the change that Stacy mentioned, but the, that, that 8, 16 or 24 change that Congress, Congress is mentioning will pop up in a number of other places and I imagine we'll get some questions on that. What what the I the forgiveness rule IRFR did did clarify that I think will be useful and, and long standing is they they emphasize more so than any of the prior guidance that payroll costs include 
cost paid during the covered period or, or, not and, or incurred during the covered period and paid in due course after the close of the covered period. So uh, I think on, on this emphasis of the or, we're, we're going to tentatively change our stripes a little bit here and say, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you incurred some costs bef before your covered period, like 2019 pension and profit sharing contribution obligations, or like SCP from the prior year, there's certainly ground in, in this in, in this IFR to argue to your banker, your lender, and to the SBA that those are allowable payroll costs because you're paying them during the covered period, even though they weren't also incurred during the covered period. That that's that, that's a reasonable interpretation of this IFR, but but that's I'm I'm still I think we're still waiting for a little bit more clarification on that. What what the the IFR did also clarify is that the eligible payroll costs include amounts paid to furloughed employees. They, they include bonuses and hazard pay. Uh, for, for furloughed employees, you, you, the, the guidance indicates that you'd, you typically make the payments to those furloughed employees about the same time you would if they are working. There's really no more clarification on how bonuses and hazard pay be, become uh, um, allowable. Our, our suggestion still stands that you should have a reasonable good faith basis for why you're providing bonuses to employees during the covered period and the hazard pay should indeed be based on some real hazards. Neither one of those bonuses or hazard pay allow you to increase a allowable compensation above 100000 on an annualized basis. Stacy, you may want to help me out on this next thing, but for the payroll cost for owner employees and self-employed individuals, loan forgiveness for owner employees and self-employed individuals can't exceed the lesser of 852 of their 29 compensation or 15385 per individual. A cap that the IFR caps owner employees by their 2019 employee compensation and employee retirement and health contributions made on their behalf. It caps Schedule C filers by their owner compensation replacement calculated based on 29 net profit. That it doesn't, the cap does not include retirement and health insurance contributions. And that's the same for general partners. They're capped on their 2019 net earnings from self-employment multiplied by a number I can't figure out, maybe one of you other guys can, by 0.9235. And again, the clarification there is th that cap does not include retirement and health insurance contributions as those expenses are already part of their net self-income. As for allowable non-payroll costs that are now subject to the 25% rule, uh, the forgiveness rule says the eligible costs must be either paid during the covered period or incurred during the covered period and paid on or before the next regular billing date, even if that dates after the close of the covered period. The, the one very interesting point as to non-payroll costs that we find in the IFR is the IFR specifically says advanced payments of interest on mortgage obligations are not eligible for forgiveness. What's the negative pregnant there? Advanced payments on everything else are advanced payments on rent or other other matters, but that example focusing simply on mortgage obligations suggests that there's reason to believe and argue to your lender that your advanced payments on other non-payroll costs and perhaps even payroll costs uh, are allowable. Regarding the, the forgiveness FTE amount reductions, as as we found before, a full-time equivalent employee is an employee paid for at least 40 hours per week. That employee gets one point in your analysis of the full-time equivalent employee reduction. Although the rule doesn't clarify whether you should determine whether the employees are fully 
FTE on a weekly basis and then average the number of number ones over the eight week covered period or simply determine the employee's average weekly hours during the covered period, the examples apparently approve the second approach. In other words, you just take the hours for the full eight weeks, divide them by the eight weeks, and then you decide whether it's a, a, a one point employee, a 0.8 employee, or a 0.5 employee. And as a, a provided in the loan forgiveness application, you can, in both your your base period and your your uh, analysis period, you can assign any employee with a score of less than one a score of 0.5, which may be useful if you have uh, if, if you have a number of really temporary less than 20 hour a week employees. Remember, we discussed before that you can make a good faith offer rehire to an individual or increase their hours to pre pandemic levels. Uh, and when they reject it, they're excluded from the FTE forgiveness reduction. That there's a number of criteria in the, in the um, IFR that must be met to, to make a valid offer. Most importantly, the re rehire offer must be written. It must be for the same salary wages and uh, same number of hours. The the other thing that the the IFR on the FTE forgiveness uh, front makes clear is if an employee is fired for cause, voluntarily resigns, or voluntarily requests a reduced schedule, the borrower may count that employee at the same full-time equivalency rate as before the FTE reduction. The 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 IFR cautions to keep um, keep adequate records of that of those those events finally there's the the IFR restates the safe harbor it says if a buyer borrower eliminates any reductions in FTE employees occurring during the safe harbor period by June 30 2020 or earlier the borrower is exempt from any reduction in loan forgiveness amount that would otherwise be required due to reductions in FTE employees it's unclear whether the borrower may restore the FTE reductions before June 30th and seek forgiveness earlier than June 30th or must maintain the workforce through uh, June 30th. With regard to the salary hourly rate reduction, and, and I'm sorry I'm running through these quickly, but there's so many of them. For, for employees who are paid not more than an annualized equivalent, for any pay period in 2019 of 100,000, a reduction in an employee's salary or hourly wage over the covered period when compared to the historic period in excess of 25% will generally result in a reduction in the forgiveness amount. However, the salary wage reduction only applies to the portion of the, de the decline in the, in, in the employee's salary and wages that is not attributable to the FTE reduction. And, and the IFR makes a, a, an example that clarifies something for me that I frankly didn't anticipate or understand. It says an hourly wage employee had been working 40 hours per week during the borrower's selected reference period, FTE employee of 1.0, and the borrower reduced the employee's hours to 20 hours per week during the covered period, FTE employee point, point, point 0.5. There was no change in the employee's hourly wage during the covered period. Because the hourly wage did not change, the reduction in the employee's total wages is entirely attributable to the FTE employee reduction, and the borrower is not required to conduct a salary wage reduction calculation for that employee. In other words, if you don't reduce the employee's hourly wage rate, but you reduce the hours, you, you may you may the only place where you get hurt on that is FTE reduction and not doubly on the, on the, um, on the salary reduction. Finally, the, the other point that the IFR makes with respect to salaries and wages is the, the, the safe harbor period. If the salary and wages were reduced February 15th to April 26th, but the borrower 
eliminates those reductions by June 2020 or earlier, the borrower is exempt from any reduction in loan forgiveness amount otherwise required due to reduction in salaries and wages. Most of these dates, we're, we're just going to have to see what what Congress does with the the change to the 16 or the 24 weeks. But most of these safe harbor dates will presumably need to be changed as well. Finally, and and it's the part that I wanted to emphasize the most. Uh, once once you submit your forgiveness application. The lender has 60 days to decide what amount is forgivable. And then when the, the lender decides what amount is forgivable, they, have not, they, they need to submit that request to the SBA. And an SBA will subject, subject to any review it does of, of that forgiveness determination by the, by the, by the lender, send send the amount of the forgiven amount plus any interest accrued through the data payment to, to no later than 90 days after the lender issues its decision. If only part of the loan is forgiven or if the forgiveness is request is denied, any remaining balance due on loan must be repaid by the borrower. The, the forgiveness IFR also affirms and clarifies the the review process that the SBA may may go through and and implement with respect to any of the applications. The, the point, unless Darren or Stacy want to go through any more detail of this this IFR, the the one one point I'd like to make is the lender processing fees are subject to clawback from the lender if the lender has not fulfilled its obligations under the PPP regulations. In other words, interpreted the PPP regulations correctly. And, and I'd like to suggest that that potential clawback may encourage lenders to increase their dilig diligence in processing loan forgiveness applications and not, and not necessarily accept every argument that is only 30% effective. Darren, that's really all I have. I tried, I rushed through that and I saw a few comments that people didn't understand. I was going too fast, but there's just so much and I didn't want to take all the time. Nope, thank you, Jeff. Um, so I just had a, a couple of add-ons. Um, one is that the, uh, to, to the extent you get a loan, say in June, uh, the eight weeks can extend past June 30th. So that was made clear by the Friday interim final rule uh, in an example rather than an actual rule. But nevertheless, it's clear uh, that you can go past June 30th. Um, so um, uh, that's one point. Uh, the second is a sort of tag on on this bonus issue. A, a lot of the discussion about paying hazard pay or bonus is to get the payroll costs up so that you can increase the amount of forgiveness and increase the proportion that you can get of rent and utility forgiveness. If the eight weeks gets extended to 16 or 24 weeks, then you, uh, in that situation, you will be able to use uh, uh, regular payroll uh, and get forgiveness over it. So you may want to, um, wait until sort of the end of your eight-week period on those those bonuses for the sake of you know getting payroll costs up to see what happens um, because if in the next you know if next week congress passes uh an extension that allows you to, to get forgiveness over 16 weeks then um you may want to still have those funds in hand um, the other the other point there, Darren, is if they eliminate the seventy five twenty five percent rule, you may prefer to use more of that money to pay rent or other obligations. Yeah, and let's just fully acknowledge that yes, we're talking about a complete midstream change after many people have spent a lot of the money, if not all of it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, is what it is. Um, uh, one other issue is, even though it's been clarified that 
on the safe harbors, you can say, for example, restore FTEs by June 30th. The date you're really looking at is still June 30th because the way the application is set up is it's asking what your FTE count is on June 30th. So whether you're restoring it, the FTE level on June 15th or June 22nd or June 26th, uh, what you're going to be filling out in the application is June 30th. So um, it's by June 30th and, and the point at which they're going to look at it is June 30th for that, um, for that safe harbor as currently in, in play. Uh, the last piece is for owners. Um, the 15385 cap is across all businesses. So if you own four businesses, you cannot take 15385 times four you would be able to take a total of 15,385. And that was clarified uh, in this rule. Uh, and with that, we will uh, bump over to the Q&As. Uh, I will um, take the fact that there are uh, not as many questions as normal as a positive sign, meaning that everyone is on the same page and fully up to speed and therefore, um, we'll be able to grind through a few of these relatively quickly. Um, but if you have, if there are questions you want to upvote, go ahead and do so. Uh, we posted the updated version of our memo, which is version seven, about an hour ago. So if you go into the chat, scroll up toward the top and buddy, um, uh, the president and CEO of Hawaii Jobs and Businesses, um, posted the link to the Google Drive uh, there. And so version seven is there. And uh, with that, uh, why don't we pass to Stacy to start taking some Q&As. So the first one at the top is how will extending the weeks, if calculated and used properly, we shouldn't have unused excess funds beyond that period, thank you. So um, just a clarification, the loan uh, calculation was based on two and a half months, not eight weeks. Um, uh, so yeah, presumably even if, you're, you're, um, if your loan, if it eight weeks is, is extended beyond uh, to 16 or 24 weeks, I think you still have eight weeks roughly plus some rent and, and utilities to be able to, to spend those funds on. Um, I think the, the extension of time was, is just more um, allowing businesses who have not been able to be open um, ha have more time to, to spend it once they are able to open down the road. The, the interesting effect on owners is that that 15385 cap is based off of eight weeks. It's based off of the maximum of $100,000 over the eight weeks. So if there is an extension, it will be an interesting sort of thing to watch to see what rules are uh, put in place to say whether that prorated $100,000 gets prorated over the extended period or, or not. Um, and that is, that is not an answered question, but it's one of the, the many things we think, you know, sort of get, get impacted or tweaked potentially by just this one seemingly small change of changing eight weeks to a longer number. Go ahead, Stacey. Uh, for S Corp LLC owner health insurance class, is that included anywhere? Um, so no owner um, owner benefits are not uh, included for forgiveness. Uh, we are part of a union and dues are not paid until the 15th of the following month. Our PPP period includes two weeks in June, um, which in the normal uh, course of business would not be due and paid until July 15th. Will the union dues have to be paid by the end of the eight week period to be forgiven? Uh, so how do we handle this? Yeah, so um, just to clarify that you, you, you would just, um, they would be eligible to the extent that they, the union dues cover allowable costs, which are, you know, your health, health insurance costs, um, retirement benefits, uh, and it would just be, need to be paid by the normal uh, billing date after the eight weeks. Jeff, do you, do you want to pipe in there and just talk about uh, sort of union benefit payments, union dues, et cetera, and, and break that out a little bit? Yeah, on uh, Daisy is brilliant, but let me add a, a little old-time labor lawyer stuff here. Okay, so you're, you're going to deduct the dues from the wage payment. 
And that, that's the time that you're really paying the wages. And so you're going to pay, you're going to pay the wages seven days after the end of your payroll period. That, and even if that's after your eight weeks, you're going to be fine. That there's nothing in the Payroll Protection Act that says when you've got to transmit those dues to the union. You've already paid the dues to the employee. You've deducted them according to your collective bargaining agreement. And you're going to look to your collective bargaining agreement and your practice with your labor organization as to when the, those dues go over, usually promptly to the union. Um, on, on the trust fund contributions you make under collective bargaining agreements, we've got a number of questions about those. And for your retirement, your annuity, your health and welfare contributions, either paid or incurred during your eight-week period, you're going to be fine counting those as allowable expenses for your training, your, your other sorts of contributions. Those aren't going to count. Um, so I think that, that really covers the union setting. Um, Stacy, do you want to take a first crack at the next one? It's two parts. The second part is, I think, the more difficult one that the three of us were discussing earlier. But um, uh, sure. do you want to take a crack at that? So FTE is calculated as a total, not individual employee, like salary and wages. So if a business chooses not to bring back a furloughed employee, but hires a new employee instead, FTE is maintained and there should be no reduction in forgiveness, correct? Um, and so, yes, that, the answer to that is correct. Um, you, sh uh, you shouldn't be um, penalized on, on your FT for that. Uh, the, wages, the wages salary is per employee, however, using the list of employees who work during the covered uh, or alternate covered period. Uh, so a furloughed employee who is not brought back should also not have a negative impact on wage salary forgiveness, correct? Let's dig a little <laughs> bit deeper into that. <laughs> uh, yeah, the furloughed employee is will be counted as an FTE if they're paid. But if they're furloughed and not paid, they're... they're not counted in the FTE calculation. The only thing that the the the, the only thing where furloughs are it, talked about and the allowed allowable expenses is you can pay them and count that as allowable expenses. But yeah, but the replacement counts. So yeah, the the, 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 the replacement does count. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, the the second part of the question is is the harder one simply because it's 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 a scenario that we think was should have been pretty easily addressed by the rules, but is not, which is for an individual employee pay reduction, what happens to the individual employees who through no fault of the employer or the employee, et cetera, for example, are on some kind of leave or are furloughed, don't come back, or that kind of situation, because on a a technical just running the calculation they're they're paid less they're paid zero so they're they're paid less than um what the first quarter would have been yeah what do you guys think i was reading the next question i'm sorry <laughs> oh, okay why well, stacy you want to take a crack at that or I'll, I'll i think it also depends on the terms of which they're they're not back um so if they're well, if they're furloughed and they weren't offered their job back, um, whether they whether they count as a salary reduction, essentially, um, yeah. I guess the answer is uh, you can tell by the hesitation is uh, it hasn't quite been been answered. Um, yeah, but 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 if you replace that furloughed employee with another employee and pay them the same as the furloughed employee. I think you have a sound argument that that meets the purpose of the FTE reduction. Yeah, the problem with that scenario is that the table, the way it's set up in the loan forgiveness application, is set up for each individual employee. And so there's no box to say, was well, this employee replaced by someone else and therefore is their salary reduction offset? That that's probably why you need to go to your attorney or accountant and put some asterisks in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
around that one. I mean, the, the, I think the one that's a little easier is something like uh, someone who voluntarily is on a leave or voluntarily does not come back. The interim final rule on Friday yeah. um, was a little bit more explicit about that and yeah. suggested that it doesn't count against you both on an FTE and on a salary hourly wage reduction. So for example, the person who's voluntarily on maternity leave, even though they're, they're paid during the, the eight week period might be zero as compared to the first quarter, uh, that should not uh, count against. Yeah. The, the, the IFR does also emphasize there, keep good documentation on that. Okay. Darlene, Darlene's uh, next question raises a, a, a number of employment law questions that we should we should address first. The one is that she pays the employees monthly, and and Hawaii Revised 388 only allows you to pay your employees monthly if you have an election among them to to allow that. Otherwise, it's it's the, the our state statute requires on a more more regular basis. But setting that aside, it says my loan dispersed on five five twenty. I pay employees monthly on the fifth of the month. Can I include three payroll periods in my total payroll paid through seven seven five twenty? Do I need to prepay the seven five twenty twenty payroll on six thirty to be able to include it? No. If if your if your payroll if, 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 if your payroll spans that last day, you're going to pay it on the payday and it's going to be, it's going to be included. Why don't you take uh, Michelle's sub question below that too, Jeff? Similarly, we have semi-monthly pay periods. We were funded on 5-4 for the pay period ending on 4-30. The employees were paid on 5-7. We, can we include this as payroll costs since it was paid during the coverage period? Under our under the, the, our new analysis based on all the payroll costs accrued or paid during the covered period, we're gonna say yes on that one. Yeah, I think the answer is yes. And, and let me just give the backup for it since they're essentially in the new interim final rule on last Friday, the one relating to forgiveness, which is interim final rule 12, there's two places in there where it clearly says or for payroll costs, that it can be incurred or paid. And one of them is an example where it's separated into two sentences and, and makes it super clear that it's an or. Um, so that's what is making us much more sort of bold about saying it's payroll costs are either paid in the eight week period or incurred and both count. Um, Stacy, you want to take the next one? Uh, so the question is, do you know how the PUI, um, PU, PUA, I believe it is, affects people who have received PPP funds or the EIDL grant? Um, so I, during the period that you're, during the eight-week period that your PPP funds would uh, fund your payroll, you are not eligible, you should not be eligible for unemployment or the PUI. Uh, and next question. Go ahead. Idle grants, or I, I didn't answer that part of it either. So I think presumably you shouldn't. Your idle should not um, uh, overlap the PPP and uh, the the PUA benefits as well. Um, next question is: Can you get two PPP loans? The answer is no. Um, you're allowed one uh, one loan per the rules. Uh, next question, my business is structured as a single member LLC paying taxes as an S corp. Do I include my K1 earnings in addition to my salary as compensation slash payroll costs? Actually, I think both of you um, covered the owner compensation, but as it applies to this question, um, Jeff, do you wanna take that? I don't think so. I can take it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well then I'll, I'll, I'll defer to Stacy. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so as an S corp, you should be on. You should be paying yourself a reasonable compensation, and you should your payroll should have been included in your payroll costs. Uh, your payroll uh, registered. Um, so your K one earnings would not uh, would not be in addition to your your salary. It okay. Well, then we agree. Yeah. Okay. For this for this situation, this would be uh, an owner employee, right? I mean, this is. 
the yeah. definition of owner employee, which means that the the rules capping total payroll costs for that particular person are capped at fifteen thousand three eighty five. Uh, or the lesser of, of 2019 compensation, and you do not get to tack on above the 15385 um, healthcare or retirement. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, okay. Um, Jeff, do you want to take the next one? Barbara asks, is it correct that for an employee who requested a reduction in hours we're not penalized for the FTE test, Rule 5, but we are penalized for the wage test, uh, uh, no, yes, you're not penalized for the FDE test, and neither are you penalized for the wage test if it's an hourly employee. Yeah. So the the clarification again would be uh, the calculation for a reduction for the hourly employee would be found. I just lost it on page seven of the application form. Um, if they're hourly employees, step one takes the hourly wage, like $10 an hour or $12 an hour. If that did not change, regardless of the number of hours worked, if the hourly wage rate did not change, then the answer for the amount of reduction is gonna be zero for that person. Uh, Stacy, wanna take the next one? So if you got an idle advance of 10,000 and the PPP loan, uh, should, we auto, should we additionally apply for the idle if we are eligible? Isn't this amount taken out of the forgiveness amount? So the only amount that's gonna be taken out of your forgiveness amount for the PPP loan is the idle advance. Um, so presumably what that means is that your $10,000 will be at the end of your um, PPP forgiveness will be subject to the two percent, uh, the two year term at 1%. Um, the idle loan uh, is, is different from that. So if you feel that you are, uh, you will need the, the funds uh, and, um, and you qualify for the idle, uh, the idle loan, then you can, you can also take that as well. Um, Jeff, you want to take the next one? Everything's capped. Oh, for owner employee of C corporations, the amount of the forgivable compensation is limited to annualized 100,000 K max or 15385, our other payroll costs I'll refer to as fringe benefits included within this 100K max, or can fringe benefits be added provided is no more than the fringe benefits awarded in 2019? That it's 100K max. The, the, the contributions are included in the 100K max. Um, the next one is kind of long, so maybe I'll, you want one of you want to just while we're going on to another question, take a second to read it and then. Uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead, I'll, I'll take a look at it. Okay, um, and then Stacy, you wanna take Robin, Robin's question? So some of our casual employees calculate to average FTE for the look back period of less than 0.5. Mathematically, this would round to zero when rounding to the nearest test. Oh. Is this correct for PPP calculations? That's a good question. We should be considering these applies as 0.1 FTE. So you can opt either the simplified method of calculating, you know, any employee with uh, working less than 40 hours as 0.5, um, or you can, if it, the employee works, uh, I guess, um, 10 hours, or that would be four hours a week, uh, that would be you considered 0.1 FTE. Yeah, so the rounding is to uh, nearest tenth. So if you have someone who's 0 0.05, it would round to 0.1. Or if you take the alternative method where everyone is, uh, everyone under 40 is 0 0.5, um, that, uh, that works. Um, so the interesting thing about allowing the usage of 0.5 as a proxy for, uh, you know, for the part-timers is it can have a really, really big impact. For example, if in your reference period, um, you have, uh, say in January, February, you, you have a lot of part-timers who are 30 hours a week, that kind of thing. That's a normal thing for your business. Um, if you essentially keep people around, but they are at, uh, say, very low, um, hours uh, and they 
are 0.2s and 0.1s and 0.3s, then if you use the 0.5 for everyone under 40 method, then you're not going to have any FTE reduction. You still may have to contend with the salary individual employee reduction, but um, uh, but your FTE would be you know, satisfied there. So the moral of that story is do the calculation on the two ways to calculate FTEs, do it for both to see which one is, is better. Okay, Jeff, do you wanna go back up to the longer question, summarize it? Okay, regarding FTE reduction exceptions, could you please comment on the following scenarios? Employee A worked the entirety of the reference period. Employee A voluntary quit prior to the start of eight week forgiveness period. Employee A was not backfilled by the employer. Can the employer include the calculated FTE amount for employee A under the FTE reduction exceptions for the forgiveness period? No. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, if fire of cause borrows. Yeah, that's what the rule says. It says if the employee is fired for, if the employee voluntarily resigns, the borrower may count such employee at the same full time equivalency level is before the FTE reduction. So yes, you can count him, him or her. Second, employee okay. wor worked the entirety of the reference period. Employee voluntarily quit prior to the start of the eight week forgiveness period. Employee was backfilled by employee B, but only halfway through the forgiveness period. Can the employer include the delta between the calculated FTE amounts for employee A and employee B under the FTE reduction exceptions for the forgiveness period. Un under the rule, it looks like you get one and a half employees. Alan, if you, if you look at it, you, you can count the retired, you can count the resigned employees as one employee and you can count the 0.5 employee B as another. So you've got 1.5 there under this rule. So let me, let me, uh toss out a question um, that that came up um, uh, in the last few days relating to restaurants in particular uh, and tips for example so servers uh, at restaurants get a lot of their proportion of their pay in in the form of tips but those tips would come from the from the customers so in the scenario where an employee is working, they're getting paid their, their hourly rate from PPP funds. But in order to maintain their, their payroll, including tips, essentially the employer would pay, you know, the difference between what their regular tips are and what they actually have been recently getting from the customers, right? That would be, um, that would keep their, their total pay level. The, the problem with that scenario is that the amount then that you pay for tips will not be sufficient to cover um, your uh, longer sort of payroll, uh, to, to cover payroll costs, to get your payroll costs up high enough to get full forgiveness within the eight weeks because you're not um, expending their entire compensation out of the PPP funds. So do you guys have particular thoughts uh, for that situation? Sorry, I was looking ahead to the next questions. <laughs> okay, uh, looks like Jeff is looking at that too. Okay, so let me, let, me, uh, let me talk to myself then and answer my question. Um, uh, I think that uh, the extra funds in that situation, yes, it will fall short of the um, you know, total getting the payroll costs all the way up to the full 75%. Uh, but um, to the extent that the law changes over the next couple of weeks, then it will essentially provide some extra funds for that, uh, for that purpose um, to be used for forgiveness. Alternatively, if you want to just pay the full amount of tips in addition to what the, the customer is paying, then you would essentially consider it as a bonus. It's allowed and you can uh, consider it as payroll costs. Okay, let's do um, uh, maybe one more each. 
Um, Stacy, you want to take one and then Jeff take one and then we'll wrap it up. Sure, I'll take the, um, was the first one. Is an owner who is paid only on a W-2 and not on Schedule C treated as an employee or subject to owner-employee compensation rules? So presumably the only situation in which an owner would be paid on W-2 is for a C-Corp or an S, uh, C -corp or an S corp um, And regardless of how they're paid, they're still an owner. And so they would still be subject to the owner compensation rules of maximum 20 and uh, maximum paid uh, 15,385 or uh, your 2019 payroll, whichever is less. And then Jeff, you want to take one final uh, question? You want to take uh, uh, Karen's question? Karen, Karen? I'm you. In regards to the safe harbor wage re reduction and the example given what happens for part time hourly employees, what if they are a 0.5 to begin with? not a 1.0 as described in the example. Can we still reduce their hours as long as their hourly wage is not reduced? Yes. Employee worked 30 hours in quarter one, 2020, at 18 hour and covered period, we reduce them to 15 hours, but we are keeping their hourly at 18 hour. Will this be considered a safe harbor? Yes. Yeah. It's not actually safe harbor, but it it is it's, means no no reduction. It's the actual yeah, it's, step one on page seven where there's no reduction beyond the twenty five percent. Yeah, and and Darren, I think we need to apologize to Karen because before we got the the uh, application and these most recent rules, we didn't we didn't think that maintaining an hourly wage rate and reducing the hours complied. Yep. Yeah. Okay, um, we are just about there. Uh, we will continue to monitor uh, congressional action because I think uh, that's the next shoe to drop. If and when it drops, our uh, informal take on this is Senate is not in session, even though they're still having discussions. And so it's possible, but somewhat unlikely that uh, it happens this week. I think there's probably a fairly high chance next week um, and we will provide an update if and when there's some kind of congressional action or some kind of major development that comes out. Uh, for those of you um, who have joined or have stuck with us for the last two months, uh, we hope that your businesses are back up and running as soon as possible at full strength and force. And uh, hope that you guys have a great rest of the week. Okay, take care.